0: I'm the VP of Improvement and Innovation Services for Kinexus. I want to welcome you to episode 14 of Ask Us Anything. Uh, We are joined today by Greg Jacobson. Greg, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Hello, I'm Greg Jacobson. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Kinexus, and I'm really excited about episode number 14 of Ask Us Anything.
0: Yeah, so we've got you know 13 past episodes out on uh, the YouTube channel. We encourage people to go search for that and look for those. And uh, as we usually do, we'll go ahead and jump right in to some questions that have come in over the past month or so. Um, two questions. I'm going to just combine them because I think they build on each other. First question says, "We've done initial Kaizen training for employees and managers. Now what?" And then Cade asked, "What are some of the leadership requirements?" in healthcare? So I I combine those questions because I think the the simple answer to what comes next after training is lead, you know, engage people, figure out what you need to do um, to go put that training into practice. Um, And and Greg, I know you can speak to this. When you've trained people on Kaizen, it's one thing to know the concepts and the terminology, but uh, what really matters is I think learning by doing in the practice.
1: Yeah. And I think what It's really important here is to get small wins quickly. And uh, what's interesting is, is whether you're on day one or on day 10,000 of your journey, actually getting small wins is the core way that you're going to build a culture. So it's, it's, it's funny because the way to start is actually the way to do it. But we kind of forget that there's nothing magical about going out and looking for waste and finding small, low-cost, low-risk opportunities to get better. And uh, the great thing about that is is it's the best way to start.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. There's, there's nothing magical about it. I think it's a function of effort. Um, there, there's some mindsets and some belief that Kaizen, engaging people in continuous improvement, is going to be worth the time, a belief or at least a good solid hypothesis that says my employees have ideas. they uh, you know and, and leaders then have to make uh, create an environment where people feel safe to speak up. Leaders need to help people um, take action to uh, to move forward. So it's not just training people, it's not just collecting ideas, it's figuring out what we can do. Um, to move forward. So I think you know, that, that takes a, a push from leadership over time. Things can become a little bit more self-managing within a team, but I, I think leaders really need to get out there and try to get that process kicked off. And, and remember the KISS principle. Keep
1: it simple, stupid, right? Don't overcomplicate when you're trying to take your first couple steps in in developing a culture of of, of improvement. Simply say, hey, what frustrates you at work? Let's identify it and then let's do some bantering about it. Let's go study the process. Let's go try an experiment to see if we can make it better.
0: And and
1: um, don't don't make it too complicated.
0: Yeah, you can also say keep it simple smarty because smart people tend to overcomplicate things. (laughs) I like it. Smart smart people who often need the reminder to um, keep it simple. Maybe that's why at
1: home slice down on South Congress, they give you smarties at the end of your meal. Oh, the little candies.
0: Yeah. We leave it an open question if they're giving them to you because you're smart or because they're hoping it'll make you smart. (laughs) Regardless. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I think kind of dovetails into the next question here from Luz. What are some proven strategies to get staff to suggest or come up with projects. Um, So, you know, the first thing I'll I'll touch on, and then the question here I think is challenging the assumption that improvements have to be projects. Uh, Projects are usually really big, team-based, relatively complex improvement activities. One way to get things started after training with leadership engagement is encouraging people um, to start small. Um, A lot of times people will brainstorm big problems, big solutions, build us a better parking garage, and leaders can try to redirect people to point out small problems that hopefully have small solutions. And I I think that's uh, as proven as any proven strategy would get, encourage people um, to focus on the small things to get started. And and things that they
1: have influence, so things that are in their... 10 feet of where they work are a great place to start. And that's not to say that all improvement are going to be what sometimes are referred to as just do-its. That's not to say that some things aren't going to maybe take a week or or two weeks to do. And that's not to say that some things really do take multiple years. I mean, you think about a master plan on on building a, a campus, for instance, I mean, that might take a decade. Right. The, the question is, is is the frontline worker best suited to get involved in something like that or best suited to work on something that really kind of creates that power of habit loop that um, Duhigg refers to? So they kind of get that immediate, oh, I used to spend every day an extra five minutes looking for a file. I decided to restructure my files on my computer that made it simpler. I'm just making up an example. Mm-hmm. But um, they kind of get that get that, um
0: habit right away. Yeah. And I think, you know, the best way to build the habit to build participation is to start small and then people can work their way up to doing a threes, rapid improvement events, projects. There's a a role and a time and a place for all of those modes of improvement, I would say. But I think starting small from the standpoint of um, psychology, brain science, other, other sources we could point to says start small. What I think is
1: interesting about this, Mark, is that when I mean, this question talks about proven strategies to get really some initial suggestions of what I was refer- inferring in this question. And, uh, you know, I said it partially in the first answer, but when, when I started to engage our emergency department residents with uh, Kaizen improvements and Kaizen minded thinking, I just said, what frustrates you at work? Because right. we all can think of the last shift or the last day at work where something frustrated them and like, great, well, let's, let's, let's talk about that and see if we can study that to figure out a small change that we can make. I think that's a great place. So in, in our experience, if the leadership is creating an inviting culture, then right. the problem isn't going to be. The, that initial, because almost all employees want to engage if they feel safe in making their work easier. And right. so it, then it becomes an issue of, okay, how do we handle that initial influx, which we almost always see when we're looking at improvement curves, is that's kind of bolus in the first month and then you kind of get more into a steady state. So I think that's a more interesting question to address at times when you're thinking kind of in your first 30 to 90 days.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. And you know, what I hear you saying is, you know, leaders focusing on what they can do or what they need to do. Um, you know, the question—not uh, to make the, the the questioner feel bad for how they phrased it—but it says, you know, how, what what are the strategies to get staff mm-hmm. to participate? Um, often there's an implication. Maybe it wasn't meant here. The implication is the problem is the staff. Why aren't staff participating? As in, what's wrong with them? Now, I think if we ask why aren't staff participating, and there's great advice from, you know, Bruce Hamilton from the GBMP, who says, "Hey, if you had a suggestion box system that failed, don't blame the workers. Look at the system." Right. Um, others might say, "Look in the mirror and say, you know, and ask, you know, what what are the barriers? Um, right. Is it fear? Is it is it futility? As, um, gosh, I'm blanking on the name, uh, the professor from UT Austin, um, um, David Yeager." No different Another professor professor. Um, uh, sorry for the dead air. Um, but he uh, you know, wrote in the Harvard Business Review that you know we often talk about fear of um, uh, you know as a reason for not speaking up, but but his research shows that it's um, futility, that people just right. don't think it's worth um, the effort and I feel. Um, terrible here. Can your employees speak freely? Is the name of the article
1: from Ethan HBR. Burris.
0: Ethan Burris. Highly recommended, even though. But maybe that's why I'm sipping on coffee to avoid an afternoon brain cramp, and that didn't work. But fear and futility, I, I think, are some of the things that, again, leaders can can help address.
1: It's funny. We sent our lab, who was we got a lab from a from a lab rescue organization which put us through the ringer which is a side story you you would have thought we were adopting a child regardless we they build the the dog is probably about a year and a half i think now in retrospect it was probably about eight months Uh, the dog was kind of crazy at the beginning we went to and didn't have you know we didn't have time right so listen listen to all the mistakes kind of right um the, the the so we we outsourced the dog going to a boot camp And really what we ended up learning, the dog came back well-trained, but then we needed six sessions because it was really about us learning how to train a dog. I mean, the dog will react a certain way. And so it ends up always being, how do you get staff to do something? Well, the real issue is, is how do you lead in such a way that encourages that behavior? And so um, I I think that even can apply to, to how to not that it, you know, frontline employees are dogs, but I think, right. you, get, I think you get my point. <laughs> I do. I do.
0: Right, we have uh, another question here from Jennifer. When you encounter an environment where the bulk of participants are resistant to tools that formalize the change process, what tips or tricks have you seen work that can be used to get the champions to bring the doubters along? So I think, you know, uh, this may, you know, a question not just limited to Kaizen, but if you look at different Um, change management models that organizations might be embracing. I think the key of the question, and I'll I'll let you take a first stab at it, Greg. The key of the question is uh, people are doubters or quote unquote resistors. Um, What can the champions of the process do to bring them along? Well, I think there's really
1: two fundamental answers for this. The first is, is, how do you phrase things and how do you present things in a way where sometimes people don't even realize they're doing improvement science you know they're they're, they don't even realize that they're doing kaizen so you you take it to the level of the person in trying to make their their work easier or whatever that person's goal is figuring out how to loop the improvement work into making it easier for them to accomplish the goal so I'd like to hear kind of your thoughts on that, and then and then the second part of that answer, I think, is quite frankly, sometimes some people need to get off the bus. Um, I mean, if you look at Good to Great, um, it talks about figuring out who should be on the bus or not. So I'm not saying that you come in and you know, 50% of the people are canned from day one. I'm saying that you know at some point you're you've got enough momentum where 90 95% of the folks are. Are bought in on this, and and there are still some scragglers. You know, those people m- may actually do better in another environment. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I know I'm yeah. kind of on polar opposites of that answer, but
0: well, I mean, I think I, I think they uh, I think part of the key is don't jumping don't jump too quickly to the conclusion that someone needs to get off or be thrown off the bus. You know, um, there's an organization that does a lot of work in. Healthcare, they have a methodology. They they talk about high, middle, low performers, and their research and experience has shown that roughly seven percent of the organization is in that bottom category of maybe you need to help them exit the organization. But they also emphasize, you know, the first role of leaders is to try to coach people up and kind of bring them up in the curve, give people a chance. I mean, I look at it and and, and see sometimes people have been damaged by the environment that they're in. They're not bad people and their cynicism or whatever's built up over time looks like resistance to change. And you know, and you give them a chance and if leaders are changing the environment, sometimes people will come along. Sometimes they've been too damaged, I think by the environment and it's just better for everybody, for them to try to get a fresh start someplace else. But I think leaders also have an obligation to look and say, well, how did we do that to people? How did we quote unquote create dead wood? There's you know old expression from Peter Schultz. You know, Didn't you hire live trees mm. and think about not you know think about what we need to do to not just keep repeating those cycles of hiring live trees, turning them into dead wood, and then saying okay get off the bus. I know you wouldn't get trees off a bus, but I think you know so, what I mean,
1: right? So quick funny story and then I want to hear more of your thoughts on the first category because I think that's the more interesting category. We were at our user conference last year and we had one of our most favorite champions at one of our most favorite customers up there presenting and um, one of the things that first of all if you are a Kinexis customer please come to our user conference. I know we have some select tickets for non-Kinexus customers too if you're interested in, in that please reach out as well but she was up on stage and and one of the things that that our c i leaders use in the platform a lot are all the reporting and so they can really see the locations and where the bottlenecks are and where the leadership issues are very quickly in the reporting section and and one of this one of these reports kind of indicating one person was was a true bottleneck and not moving things along and so the question was uh, well, how did you get that person to to kind of get their act together and get on board and and she simply said, "Well, that person's no longer at our organization," <laughs> as if they took her or took him out. Back um, anyway. It was, sometimes uh,
0: people self-select out. I mean, sometimes
1: that people self-select. So that's the that's the, the 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 funny joke part of it. But tell tell me more, like um, Mark, on the the first part, which I think is how do you get you know the the people that are resistant, the people that are in the third. How do you get them to the second? How do you get the second up to the first. I kind of gave the the answer of talking their language, figure out what their goals are, but do you have any other thoughts yeah. on that?
0: Well, I think that helps uh, a lot. Um, I mentioned in the last webinar that I did on bottom-up improvement, something I've been studying called motivational interviewing, which is a methodology when applied to the workplace, is all about leaders drawing out from people their articulation, the employee's articulation of their motivation. And hopefully there's alignment in the organization. If there's not, that's probably uh, an organizational problem that uh, has uh, steamrolled over time. You can't tell somebody what their motivation is. You can help them discover it. You can help them articulate it. Again, hopefully there's, there's good alignment, like in healthcare. Hopefully there would be alignment around serving patients, protecting patient safety, creating a better workplace, things like that. Um, but uh, the one thing I would add when you talk about people being doubters or being resistant, one of the lessons from motivational interviewing is the recognition that resistance is a normal step in the change process. Great one. We all go through resistance may come from doubt, lack of confidence, lack of knowledge. We haven't tested and tried something yet. Right. And, uh, and I think there's great insight from motivational interviewing is saying don't create um, uh, you know, don't don't label this as abnormal or that there's some sort of pathology of why people are resistant. It is a natural human reaction. So I think what we do then as leaders is work with people, engage them, talk with them, listen—probably more listening than talking—that um, that makes a huge difference. That's great. Was there anything else you wanted to add on on that no, question? No, I think you- okay. All right. So we have another question from uh, Yvette in terms of continuous improvement policy and procedures, what should be included that assures the effectiveness and sustainability of organization-wide continuous improvement initiatives? So in terms of policies and procedures, I mean, we can talk about a number of things. One would be, I think, policy around leadership behaviors. Um, I've seen organizations that do a really good job of articulating here are the expectations of leaders at all levels of the organization in terms of your behaviors and daily and weekly activities. What do frontline managers need to do? What do middle managers need to do? What do executives need to do? You could call that a form of of policy, I guess, for the organization. Um, What what are your thoughts on that, Greg, whether it's related to technology as as a procedure or or other factors? Yeah, I think that to me, I think of, of creating a standard,
1: I think that's an, a really important concept when you're when you're thinking about how do you get an organization to have that momentum. Because, for example, let's say let's say your organization of three locations, and all three locations did everything completely different. And we know that an organization and a lot of the motivation comes from from leadership. So if if those three are completely siloed, and the leadership changes in a really high performing location, and then uh, you know, location one actually is now one of the underperforming locations. Uh, Location two is, is, you know, now better than location one in this. When they're siloed and they can't even talk the same language, there's no way to get kind of momentum and inspiration and look to your kind of other parts of the organization as an area of motivation. And so I think once you create that standard, all of a sudden you are going to create some multidisciplinary teams. And so the more that everyone talks the same language, I'm not saying that everyone has to do everything exactly the same way, but they, they at least could they could sit in on a huddle meeting. They could sit in on how they do an A3. They could sit in on how their idea board works. And in about a minute or two, they go, oh, yeah, okay, that, they do it. okay, I'm there. All right, let's go versus, oh, well, I need to now sit down for two hours to explain to you how we do what we do. So I think that's an important, an important part, you know, with regard to, doesn't have to be exact, it's not cookie cutter, but there needs to be themes and a standard throughout an organization, how they do
0: things. Yeah, and, and I think standards can include language and terminology that's used, um, developing um, common language that helps people um compare notes on what's working in terms of methodology. Um, what's,
1: what, what's so fascinating,
0: Mark, is uh, when people s-
1: start using Kinexis, we, we go through a discovery process and, and really what we're doing is figuring out what's current state. Yeah. And 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 identifying through the implementation of the software, okay, what are y'all actually doing with improvement? What is that what does that look like? It is amazing how often When we get into that process with folks, they either have no idea, discover whole pockets of areas in the organization, and they have to go through that that they didn't realize we're doing things a certain way. And they, they do have to go through a bit of some soul searching and a bit of some figuring out, okay, I get it. We have eight different A3 templates. Is there value to the process in having eight? No, there's, there's, I can already tell you that there's no value in that, right? The value is in, is in the methodology of doing the A3. Exactly how your template works is, um, is a secondary, I think, goal of, of the entire process. And so what I think is, what I think is interesting is, is there's this kind of side benefit that sometimes people come out of the implementation and start getting into training with this kind of discovery and this this new knowledge of what what was our what was our methodology to to improve to begin with we didn't really even know
0: it so yeah okay well let's see if we can get two more questions in here before the bottom hour here's a question uh from job non-profit organizations barely have the resources to invest in lean training many who see the importance use their own resources and and take their lean journey at their own expense maybe he's referring to training and, and certification are there any suggestions from the group? Well, the the first I, I have this conversation uh, a lot when I talk to people about helping create a culture of continuous improvement. We often have discussions, and then someone learns they 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 can't afford on-site coaching and training, or they don't have it in the budget this year, they have to wait till next year, and and I understand it. Um, there's a couple of suggestions. One, I mean, you know, I point to people you know that books are inexpensive ways to learn. Um, to, to use that as inspiration to go and uh, try some of your own experiments with lean and continuous improvement. I think Kinexus has a lot of great webinars, free webinars. Um, my friend Karen Martin has a lot of um, really great free content on lean, value stream mapping, different practices. You can find her website, um, ksmartin.com. And I'll also mention our friends and partners at Gemba Academy. Um, Gemba Academy.com has training that's uh, pretty affordable at, at an organization level. But if someone's just trying to learn on their own, I would say, hey, go to YouTube and look for recorded webinars, recorded training videos, read and, and, and kind of compare everything you're hearing in the webinar to what you might have read in a really core book like um, the Toyota Way or um, MI's book Gemba Kaizen or something like that and say, hey, is this, does this seem consistent or, or
1: not? And, I mean, I've got to put an additional plug in. I mean, you mentioned our blog. We put a ton of energy. So subscribe to our blog, and you will, by virtue of simply reading our blog posts throughout the week, we usually put somewhere between three to five out there, you are going to not realize how quick of a time. And we obviously, you can go back in time and search anything there. So we probably have how many webinars now, Mark? 30, 40, 50, I have no yeah. idea, we might yeah. be uh, hired. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm looking right now, I can buy Kaizen from Mazakima This was the way I was introduced to Kaizen. I took no training, I didn't even talk to anyone that was a Kaizen expert. I, I read Mr. Amai's book and, and started implementing his principles and you can get it on Amazon used right now for five bucks. So I yeah, think those and, are great
0: ways to start. yeah, and I think buying used books is is a great way to do it. You can find some of the Lean classics for a penny or a dollar. I'll mention my books Lean Hospitals and Healthcare Kaizen. You can probably find a used version of an older edition of Lean Hospitals, which I think would still be valid and helpful and um, blogs, podcasts, there's a lot of stuff on the internet. Um, most most of it is good, but it there's a lot of it that's uh, there's a lot of it that's free. There's some that I take issue with, but that's a different, that's a question the person didn't ask. If <laughs> different, different podcast. Um, so one last question here, and I'll, I'll let you take um, the first um, answer here. It's from Don. Um, how can I demonstrate the benefits of implementing kinexis and process improvement strategies to improve patient flow through the ED, the topic near and dear to your heart as an ER doc, and the rest of the hospital so that hospital administrators will hear and understand. So I think it's a classic question of somebody trying to sell up in the organization, right? I think that if you're in a hospital setting, then
1: there is no hospital I'm aware of that's not trying to increase flow in the emergency department. So so to me, I think it's, it's very simply make sure that everyone knows what the current status of your flow is. And then as that those numbers, as your door doctor your door to dispo, or your you know your dock to dispo, your your dispo to actually leaving the ER. As all of those things improve, um, people are going to wonder how did you make that happen? And uh, at that point, you're going to say, well, you know, actually took some hard work. But let me show you how we engaged our 100 ER staff. Actually implemented over 350 improvements that all directly related to flow over the last year, and none of them will blow you away, but um, here are some of the rock stars that we didn't realize was going to have a huge impact, but it did. So you got to give some examples. People like stories. And then little by little, those all those really add up. And so uh, to me, I think the proof is in the pudding at that point. And, and I wouldn't focus on the methodology as much as I would focus on the outcome because I think if people see the outcome, they, then they say, well, I want some of that. And then you can backtrack, okay, well, let me show
0: you how to get to that point. Yeah. Mark? Yeah, because a lot of times people will say, I don't have the budget yet to do this organization-wide. So that's where a small test of change and pilot um, can be effective. And what I would hope in any successful pilot of um, continuous improvement strategies with Kinex's software on top of it, um, is going to lead to really noticeable results where someone's going to look and say, well, we we want to scale that across the organization. Um, I've seen times where people start with lean or continuous improvement in the middle of the organization or kind of a guerrilla activity um, within the organization. and And that sparks interest because of those results. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I think there's a risk of that. Um, but sometimes leaders at the least will say, "Hey, I like the results. I want to see more." And better yet, they might uh, it might pique their interest to learn more about Lean and continuous improvement or whatever strategies. And and I think that from a from the kind of kinexus
1: part of that, for for one, almost all of our customers will start at at some smaller level. You know, whether that's you know 100 people, 20 people. 300 people, it's usually some percentage of the entire organization. and the, the system is really set up to, to show impact um, very well. So I think if you are in an organization where you have a local leader that is completely bought in and your intent is to blow that out of the you know out of the park, hit that out of the park and then spread from there. You really want to make sure that you're measuring impact. If you already have the senior leadership bought in and and they don't necessarily need all the little decimal places in the exact right order, then I would probably de-emphasize measuring all the exact impact exactly and just like just go forward and conquer. But um, there's a. To me, this is almost. Almost how every organization starts, Mark. I mean, they all organizations that have never heard of these principles. I guess there's probably some people that that hear of the principles and immediately take to it. But I would say that those are those are the minority of people. I would say the majority of people come to it by saying, "How is that organization so good at what they do?" and then backing into it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that. We're at the bottom of the hour. And uh, as always, 30 minutes of Ask Us Anything with great questions from our Kinexis community um, that goes quickly. But I'll encourage people, uh, if this is the first one you've listened to, go and subscribe to our YouTube channel and check out the Ask Us Anythings. You can listen to them through the Kinexis podcast, which you can find at kinexus.com slash podcasts, iTunes, all the usual places. Uh, check out our blog, blog.kinexus.com, and um, also make a quick plug for the next webinar, the presentation-style webinar that's coming up next um, on August 30th. It's titled Teaming with Patients to Improve Safety, and it's something I hope that yeah. people will be interested in, whether you work in healthcare or uh, if you are a potential patient, which is, I think, everybody. So we're going to be joined by Laura Townsend, who is the co-founder and president of a nonprofit. Um, I'm on the board of. Uh, it's, it's t- they're called the Louise H. Batts Patient Safety Foundation, and she's going to be joined by a retired physician leader and a nurse leader um, talking about how we can all partner and work together um, to help protect patients. So it's going to be on August 30th. Go to kinexus.com slash webinars. Um, Greg, do you have a, a final thought for the, uh, for the audience?
1: My final thought is there's no better day than today to to spread continuous improvement. So get out of your offices, go to Gemba, and start start spreading the word. All right. Thanks, Greg. Thank you.